Indeed, happy Mother's Day and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to come worship with us today. Moms play a very, very important role in our development. Each and every one of us can think back to something that our moms instilled in us. One of the things that my mom values very, very highly in life is education, academics, and linguistic precision. Now, these are some of the things that have been instilled in me, and now I value some of these things likewise. Linguistic precision is very, very important to me. I like to be precise, not just because I like to have philosophical theology and consider the nature of the Trinity, and one should have precise language when considering the very nature of God, but it has always been in my upbringing to make sure that I never end a sentence with a preposition, that I never split my infinitive verbs, and that I never, ever allow my subject and verb not to agree. These are things that must exist, and where other kids would get in trouble for all the typical normal things, I get in trouble for those too, I would also get in trouble for linguistic imprecision or incorrectness. If I ever said, me and Mike want to go to the store, oh, I'd be grounded for a week. That would never work. My mom was a professional English teacher. She was a really, really strong battle axe of a teacher. And she didn't care. If the guy was the starting quarterback on the football team, if he split the infinitives, he wasn't going to get a good grade and it wasn't going to work out. And so I was taught very, very early, make sure that I care about language, care about communication, care about reading. And you know what? These things have served me well. Thank you, mom. In my particular profession, I do a lot of reading. I get to do a lot of study. I get to think and prepare and craft sermons and craft lessons and create sentences and come up with linguistically precise, theologically precise ways of explaining God to people. And I absolutely love it. It's partly because of my mom and her insistence that I care about language and care about communication, that I love reading and studying as much as I do. And so I'm very, very appreciative for my mom. Everybody's mom instills something in them, and we all feel the force of our mom's life at times. One of our great presidents, uh, President Abraham Lincoln, said this, no one is poor who had a godly mother. I remember my mother's prayers, and they have followed me. They've clung to me all my life. All that I am and hope to be, I owe to my angel of a mother. He knew that his mom was a praying mom, and she instilled within him a love of prayer, a love for the scriptures, and he could feel her prayers to the Father, beseeching him to help propel Abraham along. This is a really, really great thing. Ponder that. No one is poor who had a godly mother. Because our moms have such high degrees of influence in our lives, we are called to honor our parents, honor our mom and dad. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, we hear these words penned by the Apostle Paul. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he quotes the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, saying, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. 
so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Because of the impact parents have in our lives, children are to obey. Now, I no longer obey my mom. I'm not in her home anymore. I'm out. And there comes a time when the children that we raise are no longer our charge. But instead, someone will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and then they shall start a family of their own. I no longer obey my parents, but I do seek to honor them. It's important that we honor our parents. And that's what Mother's Day really is about. In fact, in 1914, President Wilson declared that Mother's Day would be the second Sunday of every May, and it would be to show love and reverence for the mothers of our country. The mothers of our country. We were taught in my entire lifetime, I have existed during the stretch of Mother's Day being an official federal holiday. And it's important that we honor our mothers, for they have done so much for us. But do you know the number one reason that we ought to honor mothers? It's not just for what they have done, it's for what they ought to do. If you think back to the Old Testament, and to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, you hear one of the great verses in all the Old Testament. This is sort of like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament for the Jewish people. The Shema. They even give a name to it. The Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4 and following says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. These are the jobs of parents to impress upon their children important God stuff. Now, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, was a very, very important verse for the Old Testament Jewish person because it encapsulated the monotheistic nature of God. When Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, including Deuteronomy, penned this, he existed in a time where there were lots of false gods. And these multiplicity of false gods all had certain particular powers. False gods were thought to have regional power, that is power over a particular location or element within space and time. And so in the ancient world, there were false gods that were over frogs, and false gods that were over rivers, and false gods that were over the sun, and false gods that were over different things. So the story of the one true God comes along, and God inspires Moses to pen that his nature is over all of reality. God, the one true God, the Lord who is one, does not have to work in conjunction with other gods to exercise dominion over all of reality. The one God who exists is the creator of everything. And his universe of discourse, his universe of discourse power is reality itself. And he doesn't need to live in temples like a lot of these false gods did, as though the one true God would need anything by human hands. No, no, the entire creation, which was made by his will at his word, is his temple. 
And so it's very, very important that the Jewish people stand in contradiction to the rest of the world, which would say, there are many gods, each of which have little power here and there. No, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. But that one God exists in three, as three persons. There is only one God and we must be monotheistic and we must impress upon our children that there is only one God. And yet the Old Testament is rife with examples of the multiple nature of God, the tri-personality of God. The very first verse in the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The second verse in the entire Bible says this, now the earth was formless and void and the spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. By the time you get to the second verse, you already have the Holy Spirit being mentioned. And by the time you get to chapter 1 of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible, you have God exercising linguistic precision. For God refers to himself using the first person plural pronoun. God says, let us make humankind in our image. Yes. God is tri-personal. He's not just personal, he's tri-personal. And while there is only one God, that one God exists as three divine persons. And what are we supposed to do with this God? What are we supposed to do with this God who created everything and who is the master of all reality? We are supposed to love him. We're supposed to love him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength. And then, out of love, we are to obey. These commandments that I give you today, and notice that these commandments are not just to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy is written in the context of the second giving of the law. That's what the word Deuteronomy means, second giving of the law. These commandments are referenced to the entire Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws and precepts of the Old Testament Word of God. These are the commandments. And that's why the Word of God in the book of Psalms says, blessed is the man who meditates upon the Word of the Lord, upon the commandments of God. And so what are we supposed to do with these commandments? As we love this one perfect God who exists as three in one, with everything we are, and we obey these commands, what are we supposed to do to make sure the next generation continues to obey? Well, we are to impress them upon our children. Impress them upon our children. Talk with them about these commandments, about God's stuff at home. When you walk along the road, when you wake up, when you lie down, everything you do ought to be all about impressing God's stuff upon your children's lives. This is what we are called to do as parents. Mothers have a unique position in this because the influence of a mother is truly, truly profound. As a husband and wife work together to raise their children, moms will have a tremendous influence, especially early in a child's life. And this is what we are supposed to do. But sometimes this isn't all we want to do. Sometimes we want to go do something grand for the Lord. And sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we want to be like a great Old Testament judge and we want to kill 300 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Or we want to 
execute judgment and drive a peg through someone's skull. Or we want to preach a glorious sermon. Or we want to call down fire from heaven. Or we want to reach an unreached group. There's so much that we want to do that sometimes we forget that our job is not always to go and do something grand for the Lord. But sometimes, and moms have to understand this sometimes, the truth is that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but someone you raise. Think about the importance of this. I know that so many of you have been trained to do something great. I know because I'm married to a mom who is great. Now, my wife, Kim, is a wonderful mother, and she's been trained. I met her a long time ago at Bible college. And before I met her, my wife actually was born in Springfield, attended Glendale Christian Church for the first 13 years of her life. So when God called us back to Springfield and to come here to Glendale, he was calling her home. This is her home church in the most real of senses. And so it is now my home church as well. But when I met Kim, she knew far more about the Bible than I did. It took me years to catch up to her knowledge. When she graduated from Bible college, she graduated with two bachelor's degrees. I had to go get a master's degree just to catch up. I got a second and then another degree just so I could pull ahead a little bit. I'm competitive that way. But she had the early lead. She is very trained. She's very skilled. And she can do remarkable things. Now, we knew that as we had children, things would progress and that she would focus mostly on raising the children, which is a high and noble calling, even if the world would tell you otherwise. Don't listen to the voice of the world. Listen to the voice of God. Kim is very capable. And so we thought, well, after our children were of age that they could go to school, then maybe she would get back into the paid ministry force. But our timetable was accelerated. Kim was serving at church, and uh, she was volunteering, and she was serving in the early childhood area and uh, as one of the early childhood ministers. And it was two weeks before VBS one summer, and our elementary minister left the church. Two weeks before VBS. Some of the elders thought, oh no, we just need to cancel VBS. And Kim said, oh no, we're not canceling VBS. I'll take care of it. And Kim led everybody through. And VBS was a great success. And the elders thought, wow, maybe we should just hire her to do this job. And I remember one of the elders said, and this was the church that I was a, a part-time associate minister uh, alongside Kim there, said, yeah, she's really good at this. And I said, did you guys not know that she has two Bible college degrees in like doing God stuff? They're like, oh, that's fantastic. Let's hire her. And they did. And Kim was doing great, great things for the Lord in ministry. And then God called us here. And she went from being a very popular, very effective children's minister to being the preacher's wife. And I know it's had to have been difficult for you. It's got to have been tough. But I want to encourage you and all of you to know that the greatest contribution to God's kingdom might not be something you do, but it might be someone you raise. 
Think about what Paul told his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy did some great things. But what did Timothy's mom do? What did Timothy's grandma do? Their names are recorded in Scripture, and yet we don't know if Eunice was a really, really great children's minister. We don't know if Lois, Timothy's grandma, was this woman who led dynamite ministry in her home. We don't know some of the great things that they did other than raise godly kids. And just like Lois raised Eunice and Eunice raised Timothy and together they raised a man who went on to have two books of the Bible with his name in it. He went on to be the preacher of Ephesus. He went on to go on great missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul to do marvelous and wondrous things to the kingdom because his mom raised him and impressed upon him God's stuff. Because her mom raised her and impressed upon her the importance of God's stuff. And together, they raised this little boy, her son and her grandson. They raised him up. And the Apostle Paul noticed and brought him along. And it was a glorious thing. But some of you might be thinking, Andrew, you're you're talking about things that don't relate to me. I'm not a mom. Whether you are a biological mom or not, understand this. Paul recognizes the importance of church folk. At the end of the book of Romans, he says in chapter 16, verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. We all need moms, even if our mom is not around. Now, I remember being a young preacher in Sheldon, Missouri, and there was a lady named Linda Elderton. And before Kim became my wife, and before Kim was able to help me in all the different things I needed, Linda was the one who would always come, and she would adjust my collar and make sure my tie was under the shirt. And she would mother me in a lot of different ways, and I thought it was awesome. I have got a lot of moms right here in this congregation, and for that, I'm thankful. You don't have to be a biological mom to experience the joy of motherhood, but please be thankful that your biological mom chose life, that your parents chose life, that here on the second Sunday of May, we celebrate the gift of being a mom and the gift of children when the world around us would celebrate something very, very different. Let us be thankful that we understand the gift that God has given us and let us do all we can to exercise that gift in a powerful way. My sister thought she would never have biological children of her own. Her husband had cancer, and they told my sister and her husband that they would never have children. And so there was a couple in Kansas City who had done in vitro fertilization. And thankfully, this couple was a Christian couple who valued life so much that they would not let these fertilized embryos be destroyed because that is a life. And they gave these embryos to my sister, and my sister had them implanted inside of her body, and she became pregnant and experienced pregnancy. She carried two twin girls that were not biologically hers or her husband's, and she was able to deliver them. How awesome is medical technology that we can do these things? There's no excuse not to embrace the loving gift that God has given 
Well, sure enough, human physicians, they don't always get it as right as the great physician. And less than a year later, my sister was pregnant with her biological daughter. And so now I've got three nieces by my sister and her husband, and it's awesome. They're, they're terrific. They're really, really great. And I love that life was chosen. And it's so important because whether you're the biological mom who just gives your child up to adoption to another mom who will raise that child, or whether you're a child or a mom who has raised another child, or whether you are just a spiritual mom here at church, the role you play is so important. We honor you. We honor you. And we love you. And we thank you. And even though you might not always sense that what you're doing is the most impactful thing for the kingdom, I promise you this, it is the most impactful thing for your family and it has the greatest potential impact for the kingdom. Continue to impress upon your children the importance of God's stuff. Don't forget to call your mom today thanking her, but if this is your first Mother's Day without mom or this is your first Mother's Day without your child, or if this is the first Mother's Day where it's been a hard, hard time, know that we love you, and we want to wrap our loving arms of comfort around you too. Would you stand as we pray?